0: Today we continue the sermon series, I Wonder. Have you all liked this sermon series? Wow, it's been challenging. You know, we've dealt with, um, with uh, wondering about why some of our prayers don't seem to be answered. You know, easy things like that. <laughs> or, uh, you know, what is the will of God? And today we're looking about, well, what about miracles in the Bible? What does that say to us today? Now, I'm going to tell you that I think that this sermon series, though we planned it months ago, I I can't imagine a sermon series speaking more directly to me at this time in my life. How about you? Have you ever prayed for a miracle? You know, usually we pray for miracles, and those miracles are involving people we love, right? Family members, friends, maybe even for ourselves. And usually we're asking for a miracle because we're desperate, right? We don't know where else to turn and we've come to that point of needing a miracle. What I hope today is that we learn some things. I want to give this kind of overarching lesson to what I hope that we gain from this message today. And one is, why are miracles important? And secondly, why do we need what miracles teach us today? And finally, why is Jesus still in the miracle working business? Now this is not a three-point sermon, it's a two-point sermon. But these questions I want you to carry with you on the journey, okay? Why? Miracles. Now, you know, when we think about the way that Jesus' ministry got started, especially in the book of John, the second chapter we'll be reading in just a moment, we think about, well, it didn't get off to too spectacular a start. I mean, we're going to be talking about Jesus turning the water into wine. I mean, I'm not going to say big deal, but, you know, kind of big deal. Compared to the other miracles. You know, a prophet in Jesus' day was only a prophet if the prophet could perform signs and wonders. In other words, if the prophet could do miracles, then the prophet was a prophet. If, if no miracles, no prophet. And you know, if you or I had been part of Jesus' PR team, we'd have said, starting out with a miracle, good choice. But it needs to be a headliner, Okay. I mean, what you need to do, Jesus, why don't you raise somebody from the dead like you did Lazarus? That'd be a great way to start. I mean, if you got started like that, it'd be pretty good. Or, or maybe you can uh, feed 5,000 people with, with two uh, little fish and five barley loaves, and, and everybody there sees the miracle, everybody experiences and they're saying, What? Or maybe what, what, what you could do is in the middle of a storm, wh- what if you just walked across the water? I mean, like on top of it. That's a biggie. But the story that we're looking at today is, is Jesus having a problem brought to him. And, you know, they, they've got a big wedding and they've run out of wine, and Lord, we need some wine. And Jesus transforms six jugs of water into wine. About 2,500 glasses. Well, that's a pretty big deal, but really is it? And nobody knew it except for the disciples and the, the guys he asked to fill the water jars. The, the, the wedding party didn't know it. Bride and groom didn't know it. Jesus just did it. Now, I'd like for us to turn this morning to the second chapter of John, the first 11 verses. And Why don't we stand as we're able and read this word together? On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. That's important. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. That's important. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said, Woman, what concern is that to you or to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who'd drawn the water knew. The servant called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. (laughs) That's practical. But (laughs) you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. You You may be seated. You know, even though this this is one of the simplest miracles Jesus performed, it's perhaps the most practical one, right? I mean, you've got a real simple plot here. You've you've got the You've got a a wedding going on, and they've 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 run out of wine. But what we need to know that a wine in Jesus uh, not a wine, but a wedding in Jesus day probably a wine too. But a wedding in Jesus day was real important. In, In fact, it was one of the top social events on your calendar. If you were invited to a wedding, you didn't question whether you went. You you dropped everything. You went to the wedding. And the wedding would always start in the synagogue at sundown. And after the wedding ceremony, there would be a candlelight procession that would go into the town. So the whole town is involved in this wedding. You get the picture? They'd go from house to house, the procession would, with the bride and the groom, and people would come out of their homes who weren't even at the wedding, and they would congratulate the bride and groom and wish them well. And so the whole town was involved and and, and, and the wedding was going on and as weddings would 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 have it, they, they would give speeches and they'd give gifts and there'd be lots of food eaten and lots of wine drunk and and you didn't want if you were the host you didn't want those glasses ever to go empty lots of wine flowing and if they did go empty then it was quite an insult not only to the wedding party but to the community at large it was more than an embarrassment it was a humiliation it was a, a big deal to run out of wine at a wedding Now, now what does this say to us today? I think it speaks to us a, a message about miracles a little deeper than what it was for Jesus to turn water into wine. I think it causes us to think of those times when we've been running on empty. And we needed Jesus at the point of our emptiness. When we've been in need of a miracle. When we've found ourselves so running on empty that we don't know exactly where to turn. We've got this problem and we can't solve it. We're running on empty. We've got this crisis and we can't handle it. We're running on empty. We have this hole that we've dug ourselves and we can't dig out of it. We're running on empty. And we're at the end of our ropes. We're empty. We're empty. Now, here's the key takeaway. You you write this down or you you remember it and and everything else is, uh, I'm going to keep preaching, but this is the key point. Our problems open us to God's possibility. Our problems, and problems are at the root of a miracle, there's got to be a problem if there's going to be a miracle. Our problems open us to God's possibilities. And here's the lesson in two points. Just like Mary did, we need to turn to Jesus when we have a problem. What was the problem in the story? No wine. Mary goes to Jesus. She presents the problem. She turns to Jesus with the problem. And and, and you know this problem wasn't a, a life or death issue, but you know a lot of problems in our lives, a lot of challenges in our lives, a lot of miracles that we need are not really life and death issues. They're real practical things. We've got a, an irreconcilable um, relationship. We've got a problem. We've got, we're, we're dealing with a, the loss of a job. Or we're dealing with a, being in a job that we wish we could lose because we hate it so much. Or, or we're, you know, we, we're in the midst of a bankruptcy or a, or, or a lawsuit. Or, you, you know, and we're in such a problem that we know we need help. And when we do what Mary did, turn to Jesus, we're doing it right. But that's usually the last thing we do. Because we we think we're so self-sufficient that we can take care of any problem. So we start with us first. And we try to take care of it by whatever means we want to use. And it usually results in us getting deeper and deeper and worse off and worse off. Until we finally reach the point that we really need a miracle and we turn to Jesus. And as soon as Mary knew the problem, she turned to Jesus. You see, we we talked some weeks ago about God's intentional will for us. God's intentional will for us is to have peace and harmony. And not to experience problems in life. Not to experience the kinds of challenges that that, that cause us to question um, everything about everything. But we know that we we don't live in a world like that, that God's intentional will for us was thwarted by the fact that God has a permissive will for us, that God allows us to make our own choices. And sometimes we don't choose relationship with God. Sometimes we choose to take matters into our own hands. And this world is so broken and things are so flawed that that we we realize that pain and death and, and, and confusion and disarray and destruction is a part of the life that that we live in or the world that we live in so the first lesson we learn from Mary is you have to turn things over to Jesus you know the great thing about this is that Jesus wants us to turn things over to him you know I'm gonna say this about preachers do we have any preachers in the room dog anyway this is what I want to tell you about preachers you know, we get into the business of church and faith because we, we, we feel God's call on our heart to take care of people, to pastor. We, we don't envision ourselves being in a big church and being the big preacher. You know, we, we envision ourselves taking care of people, visiting in the hospitals, visiting the shut ins. I know very few preachers who were called into ministry by some grandiose uh, image of what was going to come. And so to some degree, you know, we live out our calling by, by, by being the ones that people bring their problems to. And we represent God in that. And we, we, we want to turn people to God. And they've come to us. And so we, we find ourselves in the midst of this great caring, right? And then what happens when something happens to us? Oh, we can't talk to the congregation about that. They may think le- lesser of us. Or, you know, I'm not about to tell anybody I did that. And we know oftentimes that God speaks to us through other people, right? And, and preachers sometimes think they can go to anybody else. But we can. And if we're healthy, we will. But all of us need to recognize that, uh, especially the shepherds uh, of the flock, need to rep- recognize that the good shepherd, the shepherd that is your shepherd ultimately and my shepherd is Jesus. And he's the one we turn to, ultimately. And Jesus turned the water into wine. Do you think he turned the water into wine so everybody would recognize that he had these great powers? No, he said, hey, my time's not yet come. He turned the water into wine because he cared about the bride and the groom. He cared about those who were about to be humiliated. He responded because the problem was presented to him and he wanted to deal with them in the problem. And and that's what happened. In 1 Peter, we read in the 5th chapter, the 7th verse, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And you need to hear that. Why do we cast our cares on Jesus? Because he cares for you. The final thing I want to say this morning is that we need to trust Jesus to handle the problem. It's one thing to turn it over, but sometimes we turn it over and kind of hang on. We need to trust Jesus to handle the problem. Now the funniest verse in this whole passage to me, see if you think it's funny, is when Jesus comes or when Mary comes to Jesus and um, he tells Jesus the problem and, and, and Jesus said, "Woman?" What concern is this of you and what concern is this of me? My my time has not yet come. And then Mary turns to the servants and she says, You do what he tells you. Now I just think about my mother coming to me with a problem and saying, Stan, here's the problem. And I said, Woman! (laughs) What concern is that of you and what concern is that to me? And I can see my mama saying, you do what he tells you. He's going to do it. I'm his mama. That's right. It worked. And you know the next thing. You know Jesus says okay. okay. Fill up these six jars. Fill them to the brim. But the, but the real lesson we learn here. Is the lesson that Mary teaches us. You trust Jesus. If he tells you, whatever he tells you, you just trust him. You know, when we pray, and we're in the midst of, of needing a miracle, and when, when we pray, you know, we think that praying is our talking. And, and praying is, not, it should be 90% listening. We, we want to do what Jesus tells us to do. We want to trust Jesus to tell us what we need to do. And when we turn our problems over and when we we trust Jesus and we open ourselves to God's possibilities in ways that we we never, ever, ever, ever imagined. Did I tell y'all I went to Alaska? I did. I grew a beard. I brought it back to show you. You know, this church gave me an, an Alaskan adventure on my 20th anniversary, which was 17 months ago. When I finally got to go to Alaska, I needed it so much more than I did 17 months ago. You know, Tammy and I had a niece. We loved her so much, 33 years old. Got diagnosed with cancer in May, and on August the 14th, she died. We prayed for a miracle. We wondered, you know, why? Do our prayers sometimes get answered the way we'd want them answered? We questioned, what is the will of God? Anyway, so when, when I went to Alaska, I took this little book written by John Claypool called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler Living and Growing Through Grief. John Claypool wrote this book in the 1970s, and it's been around, just keeps coming around and around. It's four sermons that he wrote, four chapters, when his daughter, Laura Lou, was diagnosed with acute lymphocytic leukemia and died 16 months after she was diagnosed, 10 years old. John was a Baptist preacher and well-known preacher, a fantastic pulpiteer. He became an Episcopalian priest. That's another story. But this book has been a miracle to many people. It's real and it's raw. The first chapter he wrote ten days after Laura Lou was diagnosed. The second chapter he wrote when she went into her, um, her second relapse. The third chapter he wrote a few weeks after she died and the last chapter a few months after that as he reflected on the overall journey. And on day five of my Alaskan adventure, I decided I was taking the day off. And it was a Monday and it was going to be Megan Monday. I was going to read this book. I was going to pray for a miracle in my life, in my family's life. And when I got to the third chapter, I received a miracle. John Claypool starts talking about three roads that he was encouraged to take, he said two of them are dead ends and one of them has hope. He said the first road was a road of unquestionable resignation. See this is a road that you're encouraged to take where you never question God. People say well you don't don't question God. You you know you don't really have a right to question God. You know we don't understand these things just don't question God okay. And and he said that's totally non-human. And it's certainly not Christian. Job questioned God. Jesus questioned God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus questioned God on the cross of Calvary. Why, O Lord, have you forsaken me? That it's human and Christian to question God. He said the second dead-end road that he was encouraged to take was the road of intellectual understanding. He said, this road has us coming up with answers, rationale for why things happen. You know, it's like I told my brother-in-law the night that we were having Megan's visitation and hundreds of people were going to be coming through and greeting, her, uh, greeting my sister and brother-in-law. I told my brother-in-law, I said, you're going to hear some awful theology tonight. Somebody's going to come through here with the answer and they're going to say, well... Apparently, God needed another angel. I said, Don't you believe it? God doesn't need any angels, and He doesn't turn humans into angels. They're different species. Somebody's going to come through here and tell you, Well, it must have been her time. As if we're kind of wind up toys, and when we wind down, it's done. I said, People have a need to come through here and give you some kind of answer. You don't need an answer, you don't need an understanding. Then John Claypool says, The only road that I've found as a road that offers hope is the road of gratitude. The road that causes us to see that all life is a gift from God. Before Laura Lou was ever ours, she was God's. And when we can be thankful for the time that we had Laura Lou, instead of living in the destruction of remorse. We can thank God for all of those times we had. We can start to hear a voice. You know, when we turn our problems over to God, we open ourselves to possibilities and other miracles that we didn't see coming. We have a friend who about ten years ago she went through a divorce and the divorce led to a estrangement between her and her daughter 10 years didn't speak the daughter had a baby and for nearly 10 years our friend had no contact with her granddaughter every once in a while she'd get a picture that someone would share with her that she'd seen on her he'd seen on Facebook and they'd say hey you might want to see your granddaughter Ten years. My friend's daughter was a friend of Megan's. And when Megan's life was coming to an end, my friend got a call from her daughter. And that daughter said, you know, I think we might need to visit. Visit. And Megan died, and that daughter was at the funeral with the granddaughter. And today, their relationship's restored. Is that a miracle? You ask my friend if it's a miracle. Yesterday, I went to Megan's grave, and there were. 60 or 70 yellow roses in this arrangement. They were fresh. A little ribbon said, My coach. I can only imagine what led to that gift. Probably a miracle. Friends, all I'm saying today is that we need to turn our problems over to Jesus and trust Jesus to bring about a miracle it may not be the one we're expecting or hoping for it may be so much greater in so many different ways that impact so many more lives than you would have ever been bold enough to ask for. yeah we still have questions questions are okay the way we continue to walk on the road of gratitude that continues to unfold. And we continue to say thank you to God for gifts undeserved. But gifts of grace nonetheless. Okay, I'm about through. You know what the greatest thing about this story is? Oh, you might have missed it. You might have missed it. But it said in the scripture... Jesus was invited to the wedding you know the best thing the bride and groom did or the mother and daddy of the bride and groom was they invited Jesus to the wedding you invite Jesus into your life you invite Jesus into your circumstances into your problems into your unanswered I don't know where to turns and you'll open yourself his possibilities God bless you